Mark, um, like many professional sports leagues around the world, the, the NBA's had to suspend its season. Um, for the benefits of listeners who perhaps don't follow the game, how far into the season were you and, and what's, what's the latest? We were about two-thirds of the way into the season, and then on March 11th, we made the decision to suspend the season um, after one of our players from the Utah Jazz a positive test result came back for COVID-19 and we made the immediate decision right then to suspend uh, the season. It's obviously an unprecedented event, but how prepared was the NBA for this crisis and what emergency measures did you have in place? This was an unprecedented event. And what I would say is that because of the nature of the business that we're in, the live event business, a 24-7 business with offices around the world, we do have procedures and systems in place. We have a crisis management team that assembles on a regular basis to do tabletop exercises for all kinds of different events that can happen and crises that can happen. This one is a little bit different in that we had, because of our China office, we have 200 people who work for the NBA in China. So they were really uh, on the front lines of this one. And we had been dealing with COVID-19 in China, having uh, implemented certain protocols in China, re- working from home, um, and, and, and dealing with the situation in China and getting access to the information um, as best as we could on what was coming out of there. And we knew that there was the risk that this would start spreading across the world. And so we very early on had engaged with Dr. David Ho, a world-class immunologist from Columbia University. Uh, we engaged with Dr. Vivek Murthy, former U.S. Surgeon General under President Obama. Uh, And we started uh, consulting with these folks very early on in the process so that we could be prepared uh, in the event that there was a widespread coronavirus and then eventually into a pandemic, which it it became classified as. And so you're Chief Operating Officer of the the NBA. How do you hope to address the the operational issues that, that created by this event, such as completing the season while still ensuring the health, safety of players, employees, and fans? There are significant operational issues, as you could imagine, both dealing with our teams as well as with our staff. Um, And so what we've done is we have created these project leaders, um, work streams during this hiatus that we're we're in right now uh, of dealing with things like uh, engaging with players and what is the protocol for engaging with players? How do you keep them fit? How do you keep them active? Um, How do you communicate with them? Uh, Making sure that, uh, for example, our our IT did some stress testing on our uh, systems to ensure that communication amongst our employees, amongst our teams uh, was in place and and could handle it. Uh, We frequently communicate with our uh, team personnel uh, through regular uh, video conference calls and um, memos that we're sending out on a regular basis. We communicate with our entire colleagues around the world through these daily briefings and daily updates. Um, I've done just this week alone virtual town halls with all of our employees around the world, including offices in uh, India, in Europe, uh, in Latin America, as well as Africa uh, and Hong Kong. So we're communicating and over-communicating to all of our key stakeholders at this time. To what extent has there also been collaboration across sports and other leagues? Are, are you all talking to each other? There's been tremendous collaboration amongst uh, our colleagues at different leagues, both here in the U.S. and internationally. 
we have been dealing with, um, for example, I'm on the executive committee and on the board of FIBA. And so we were uh, very close in touch with FIBA, who was obviously in direct conversations with the IOC around the decisions around postponing the 2020 Olympics. Um, we have talked to, the, to UEFA, we've talked to the Premier League, we've talked to Major League Baseball, NFL, everybody. I think one of the things that is coming out of this crisis is that the sports leagues have all come together to share common learnings and to work together to fight this pandemic that's affecting everybody. Fans are essential to the success of, of, of the game. How are you engaging with them, especially considering that game highlights, post-match interviews, live games are, are, are currently closed to you? Fans are the lifeblood of all of our sports, and in particular the NBA. Uh, we launched a program called NBA Together, which was really designed to educate our fans on the, the things that they ought to be doing to help to stop the spread of the coronavirus, whether that's social distancing, washing your hands, those sorts of things. So we start off with a PSA campaign where we've had players, former players, getting those messages out there. Uh, we are also encouraging acts of kindness. Uh, and we've seen tremendous acts of kindness from our players, from our teams, and from other fans. We have on YouTube every night, classic games. And then finally, what I'd say for the fans is we actually announced uh, that the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance of his last season in Chicago, uh, that was originally scheduled to air in June. We've pushed that up now uh, to air in April on ESPN. So uh, all those things are uh, things that we're doing to continue to engage our fans during this time. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt that technology has been incorporated into the sports viewing experience for forever, whether that be experiments in virtual reality, which we actually broadcast games in virtual reality, um, or 3D, and, and all kinds of different technologies that have been brought to the broadcasting of NBA games in particular, but sports in general. Um, and I think that coming out of this, that we are continuing to explore unique and innovative ways to present our game. And you know, we don't know what the future looks like, whether or not there will be a scenario where uh, we are playing games uh, without fans. We, we just, it's too early to, to know that, um, but we are talking to and thinking about if that became a scenario, how could we use technology and innovation to create second screen experiences, to create engagement between um, the fans who are watching at home um, and the in-arena experience. So I do think that you will see innovation that comes out of this going forward. And, and does esports fit into this strategy at all? Very much so. As our 2K uh, partners, we are actually launching a tournament uh, tonight with NBA players playing NBA 2K. We've actually done some competitions with the uh, NBA 2K League, but are looking at uh, additional ways that we can activate that esports league going forward. Does COVID-19 change or affect any plans you have to expand abroad or in, into new markets? Um, I think it's so uh, unclear what the long-term implication impact of COVID-19 is. What I will tell you is that we are a global sport. 25% uh, of our players were born outside the United States. Uh, we have offices in, in countries and cities around the world. Um, and I don't think it's going to change our uh, focus on expanding the, the global game of basketball. It may change how we go about that. It may change the different protocols that we all as businesses, as companies um, have to live by. Um, but I don't see us slowing down the expansion or the growth 
of our international business at all. As a COO, how, how, how do you prepare for something like this when you, you don't know when it's going to come to an end? I think the only thing that you can do is you, can, you control what you can control and you plan for various different scenarios. And like I said, we have a team of people here who are looking at lots of different scenarios, um, we, constant communication with the medical experts, whether it's the CDC, the World Health Organization, infectious disease specialists, to try to understand what uh, this looks like. You know, I, I will say uh, that there is some optimism because our offices, for example, this week opened back up in Beijing and Shanghai. So after a period of time where we actually had to uh, close our offices, um, our folks, our employees, NBA employees are getting back to work. We're opening up our NBA play zones. We're opening up our hoop parks and our stores in China. Um, and albeit under a certain set of different protocols. Um, and, and so uh, we're, we're learning from that and starting to see what the future might look like in other parts of the world. You mentioned the teams and how they're managing it. Any, any insights on how things like players are still managing to keep in shape when presumably they can't train together? Yeah, I've been so impressed with our teams in general in their response to COVID-19, their outpouring of support, not only for uh, the workers, their employees, uh, but also the communities in which they, in which they work in. Um, but they're also being innovative in terms of how they engage with their players. So uh, there have been uh, multiple examples of uh, coaches and teams who have been engaging through Zoom, fitness classes and workout yeah. regimes. And I know that so many of the players are communicating themselves through video conference and staying in touch, um, not only on the physical aspects of this COVID-19, virus and the impacts there in, in staying in shape, but also on the mental um, wellness, wellness aspects as well. You know, this, um, there are people who are obviously in, living in isolation and not being able to uh, see people live. And I think um, making sure that you're focused on your mental wellness is, is critical during this time as well as physical wellness. And so our teams are really rallying around that, providing resources to our players um, again, through Zoom videos and other tools of staying mentally well and physically fit as well. And, and the final question for you, and to what extent um, and how will you prepare for this, a, a possible next pandemic or another sort of similar uh, disruptive event? I think out of every crisis comes learning and comes opportunity, and I don't think that this one will be any different. I, I will tell you that the new normal now are these video conferences. And mm -hmm. uh, there, that is one thing, like I said, I, this, just this week I've spoken to every employee around the world face-to-face um, -face through this sort of technology. And in the past, that would have had to wait until I got on an airplane and flew to each one of those different cities. Um, we no longer have to do that. And I think what, um, you know, one of the things in terms of how uh, much friction there has been traditionally for people working from home. I remember it wasn't that long ago where you used to think, well, let's just do a conference call because it's so hard to set up a video call. Yeah. It, that no longer exists. And I think our world has changed forever in that respect. And I think there will be lots of other things that come out of this as well uh, that we're going to operationalize and implement as a result of having to deal with this particular crisis. Fantastic. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you.